message, I, I want to point out just uh, one little book. Uh, it's uh, the book that I sell most of. It's called Future. Uh, it's written by a man by the name of Menno Kalisher. Menno is the pastor of Jerusalem Assembly House of Redemption. Uh, I believe it's the largest uh, messianic congregation in Jerusalem and he is also a member of the Friends of Israel even though he's an Israeli himself. Uh, but he's, he's written that book and it's basically a summary of all the things that we're talking about but in his, in his terms, how, how he puts it. But it's, it'll be the same information that's in there if you're interested. Uh, they're a fairly cheap book. They're $9 for those and my wife will be there at the end of the, the night if you're interested in getting a, a copy of that. All right, well let's come to the Lord again in prayer. Ask him to continue to bless us. Heavenly Father, as we continue in our study tonight, uh, we thank you for the fact that you have told us the end from the beginning. You haven't left us wondering what's going to happen, how will it take place, who will be involved. You've told us all of these details. But perhaps one of the most wonderful details you've told us is about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we go through uh, this study now, the second study tonight, may your grace be upon us. By your Spirit, may your Holy, Holy Spirit be our teacher. And we pray, Lord, that uh, people will understand what a great and glorious thing it will be when our Lord Jesus comes back again and we come back with him to this earth. So, Lord, to you we give the glory and we ask a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the glorious appearing, that's what we're going to be talking about here. So, the most miraculous, most incredible, most spectacular event that's ever happened in human history, ever happened to this planet, is yet to come. And I'm referring here to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power and glory to set up his kingdom which will last for a thousand years upon the earth. It'll be the everlasting kingdom. The Apostle Paul saw all the events of the last days as being so significant that he links them to the very manner in which we should all live today. In Titus 2, 11 to 13, he writes this, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now that passage tells us about how we should be living today but it looks right down the corridors, as it were, down through the ages to that future joyful hope of the believer in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. Now, we're grateful for God's blessing and grace in the rapture of the church, which shall come first, but we eagerly anticipate the full glory of the Lord that is to be revealed to all the earth when he comes again as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, we sing about this do you know this song? Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. You know, that was never written as a Christmas carol. 
We sing it as a Christmas carol, but it was always intended and it was written for the purpose of having people think about the second coming. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Because when he comes back, he's going to be coming as a king, not as a little baby, not in a manger, not in somewhere that's sort of obscure, but as the king. When we pray, we pray, even so, come Lord Jesus. And we testify to this fallen world that Jesus is coming again. So the second coming that we're about to talk about is a major theme of Christianity. Now, when will this glorious appearing occur and what's actually going to take place? Well, we've got to pick up the story where we left it in the first session. In the closing stages of the tribulation period, the mighty armies of the nations of the world gather in the land of Israel to do battle. According to Revelation 16 and verse 13, they've come there because demonic spirits go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of Almighty God. And they gather them together to the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. So this is what's going to happen. God is gathering the armies together. Now, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13 makes it very clear that Satan's malicious intent is to persecute and bring great harm to the people of Israel. So it seems as his primary purpose and in the darkest hours of the time of Jacob's trouble, these demonically motivated armies are deployed to bring complete and final destruction on the Jewish people. Whatever agenda they may have, Almighty God has his own plans and purposes for the gathering and this is to be the final campaign that ends all earthly battles and worldly kingdoms and ushers in the kingdom, as it says in Revelation 11:15, of our Lord and of his Christ. The prophet Joel declares this, Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So, while the forces of darkness arrogantly thought they were in control, God summons them now to the place of judgment and destruction. If we combine Revelation 6, Joel 3 and Isaiah 34, they inform us that these great armies are going to cover a territory from the plains of Esdraelon or up there in the valley of Jezreel or up there from where Megiddo is, is shown on that, that map, uh, down through uh, Jerusalem, the valley of Jehoshaphat, which we believe to be the Kidron Valley, and down as far as Edom. So the armies are going to come 
right down in this whole area. It's an area that's about 300 kilometres in length. There's going to be great casualties among the Jews who are not yet converted. Zechariah 13 verses 8 and 9 warn us. It shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. We saw this last time. So this time is certainly going to be dire for Israel. The forces of evil want nothing less than their absolute destruction, but God is not going to let that happen. His revelation to Daniel the prophet was this. Listen to these words because it sums it up perfectly. When the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. When the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, there is no place for them to turn. They have no strength. They cannot fight against this army that's coming against them. But God has already foreseen this day. I love this in God's word. In Zechariah 14, verses 1 and 2, he addresses the assembled army. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. So as these evil armies invade the land of Israel and they take whatever they want, they will seem to be undefeatable. But little do they know that God has brought them to this place to deal with them and to draw his people Israel back to himself. So God is using this event to draw the people to himself. And this is what the scripture says. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses plundered and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So right at this very point in time with their power completely shattered and annihilation looming, the Jewish people who remain realise their only possible hope of deliverance the only possible hope of coming through this is for God to send Messiah to save them. There is no other way. And in their deep distress, they cry out to him like they've never cried out to him before. I know many Israeli people, many Jewish people, and uh, I, I, I find it hard to say these words because uh, some of them, many of them are not not Christians. When their power is shattered, there's nothing left for them. That's the time that this is about to happen, that they're going to cry out for Messiah to come. And this is what Zechariah 12, 9 and 10 says. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication and they will look on me 
whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. The imagery could not be clearer. These people are going to look on the one whom they pierced, that's Messiah, that's Jesus, that's Yeshua. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will be completely broken before him and they will see that the one their ancestors crucified and rejected, the one who was pierced, will be the one for whom they are to mourn deeply. There's now a widespread turning of the remainder of these Jewish people to Messiah. With their desperate need fully apparent, the amazing events predicted by Jesus now in Matthew 24 and starting from verse 29 are going to unfold. You might like even to turn to Matthew 24 if you're looking at your scriptures because this now is when things are about to become amazing. And it says this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. When Luke records this, he says this, There will be signs in the sun, in the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. So these cosmic disturbances demand that the world give their attention to the great things that are about to happen. There's going to be these signs going on. Seemingly overnight, commercial and religious Babylon are going to lose their power and fall into the Lord's judgment and all the world's riches and things that men sought for, it tells us in Revelation 18 and 17, came to nothing. All the earth will be in its final state of convulsion and turmoil as the true king prepares to come. John prophesied in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So the Jews are going to mourn for Messiah to come, but everyone else in this sin-riddled world will mourn because Messiah is coming. Luke 21:26 says, Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for they know the time of their judgment has come. Now Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 30, gives us the sequence. It says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. The sign. What sign? What does that mean? Well, we don't know exactly. It just says the sign. So some speculate it may be something like the sign of the cross. It may be something like this. 
Others point to Jesus' words in verse 27 of Matthew 24. As the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And they suggest it may just be the greatest light show ever seen by man. But Jesus didn't actually say his coming would be heralded by lightning. He just gave us the picture that it would be so spectacular that just like a huge flash of lightning across the skies, everyone's going to see it. So while none of us actually knows what Jesus was referring to when he said the sign, perhaps it will be the manifestation of his glory. The glory of heaven finally opened up to human view in every part of the earth. And why would God not be able to do that? To open the Shekinah glory. That would be a sign. Jesus called it the sign, not a sign, but the sign, a singular word with the definite article. So it's apparent it will be different from any other sign of any other time and thus it will be unmistakable. This is the sign of the coming of Messiah. What we can say with confidence is that Messiah's coming is going to be amazing and it's going to be visible to all on earth and every person will know what it means. A glorious appearing indeed. It says the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now as Antichrist, this violent, profane man who who thought he was a substitute for Christ and he's gathered armies who were deep in bondage to Satan and demons and filled with sin and wickedness and all that's ugly, when they recognise that it's Jesus that's coming, they're not now attacking the Jews, they want to come together and try and stop Jesus. They want to try and stop the army that's coming with Jesus. They lay aside every other agenda they may have and they unite to fight against the coming king. Let me read the description that comes from Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Messiah is going to return on a white horse as a conquering king, triumphant and victorious over the forces of wickedness and on his head's 
all these different crowns because he's the ultimate king. As it says, the king of kings and the lord of every lord over every nation. 2,500 years ago, Daniel saw the fate of the Antichrist in Daniel 11.45 and this is what he says all those years ago about something yet to come. He shall come to his end and no one will help him. That's how Antichrist is going to finish. In 2 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul puts it this way, the lawless one whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So the full wrath of God is now turned against this vast army that's gathered down through the 300 kilometres or so of Israel, this huge, huge army that some way are going to try and stop the Lord. I can imagine them shooting, shooting at him and, and, and firing cannon and, and tanks and ballistic missiles and who knows what it is. But they're all going to be destroyed and Revelation 19, 17 to 21 describes what happens in detail. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and within the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So the carnage of these multiplied millions is going to be horrific, a scene beyond our imagination as to its scale and its severity. Luke 14.20 had foretold this same scene. The great winepress of the wrath of God was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs, which is about 300 kilometres. We can't even imagine what it might be like to stand beside that huge battlefield and look on the aftermath of the wrath of Almighty God. But as he destroys his enemy, the Lord completes his second coming now because he's destroyed them in the air as he's coming down to planet Earth. This time he comes as a victorious, conquering king. Zechariah 14, verses 4 and 5 give us the details. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. 
Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with him. So there's going to be this great earthquake and people in Jerusalem who've been under oppression, they've been killed, they're hiding, many of them, (coughs) only a few of them left, now they escape through this great valley that opens up this earthquake. And so the tribulation period comes to its conclusion with the glorious appearing of the great king, of the Lord of Lords and with his total decimation of the wicked armies of the earth and with the power of his presence. Satan, the evil spirit and power behind these wicked men will now also be captured because he's a finite being even though he's a spirit. He will be bound and placed in the abyss and Revelation 20 verses 1 to 3 tell us he'll be unable to trouble the world for 1,000 years. Salvation has now come to all Israel who place their faith in Christ and Paul's declaration from Romans 11 will now be fulfilled and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So all Israel, this is the one third of Israel that is left alive. We've already read in the prophecy that two thirds will have been killed. With his glorious appearing, the incredible vision given to Daniel millennia before concerning the everlasting kingdom will now also become reality. Daniel chapter 7, this is what we We looked at last year when I was here, verses 13 to 15. I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So what stands before them now is this great messianic kingdom along with its great king. What does this all mean to us? it probably means a whole lot of different things to each of us as we sit here and we listen to this story. I hope it at least means this. God knows everything. God is on the throne. God is not defeated. And no matter what our world throws at us now or in the future or what happens in the time of the tribulation to those who live through that time there, God never abdicates. He's always on the throne. So there is a time coming when Jesus will return to this earth in power and glory. His enemies are going to be completely defeated and I want you to notice the key fact Every army of the world has been destroyed. There are no more armies. That's significant as we go into the millennial kingdom. Good will ultimately triumph and Jesus will set all things right 
as he establishes his everlasting kingdom. God is working to a plan and in his grace he has revealed it to us. So for us, dear brother and sister, be ready. His return for his people in the rapture of the church is imminent. And that word imminent uh, comes from the text that says to us, and to wait for his son from heaven. And uh, that text is uh, written in the present continuous. And it means to wait for his son from heaven as if it's about to happen. And to wait for his son from heaven as if it's about to happen. And to wait for his son from heaven as if it's about to happen. It's a continuous present tense. Always waiting. Anticipating. Because it's imminent. We never know when the Lord is going to come. But I tell you, when he comes, we're going to know it in the rapture of the church. And then when he comes at the end of the tribulation period, the whole earth, every single person will see him. Every eye will see. And then every knee will bow. So, when we gather again next Sunday night, this coming Sunday night, we're going to talk about the millennial kingdom. What happens when Christ returns? What is it that he establishes upon the earth for a thousand years? What's going to happen in that kingdom itself? What will it be like? Well, we're going to answer some of those questions on Sunday evening. For those of you who may be from Yungaburra, uh, either on the video or as we're talking today, uh, we'll be at Yungaburra in the morning uh, next Sunday and we'll be talking on the subject, Who Do You Say That I Am? That will be our topic at Yungaburra. And then next Sunday night, here at 6.30, we'll be talking about the Millennial Kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful word and we thank you for the encouragement that your word brings to us. Thank you, Lord God, that you have chosen to give us minute details. You do that because you want to display to us that you are God. No other one, no other being, no other spirit, none none could give us the detail that you give us because you want us to know you are unique. You are the almighty God. You are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are the God without beginning and without ending. You are the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and you are our God. And we thank you, Lord, for your blessing and we thank you for your revelation. We worship you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.